Hello, Herd. It's your old pal Mike here to give you three big announcements. One, we're going to have our first ever panel at GeeklyCon 2017 in St. Louis, Missouri on July 21st at 11 a.m. Get more info on how to attend this wonderful, welcoming, epic event at geeklycon.com. So what is this panel about? This is going to be a great 50-minute live show on bad movies that we love and why that's okay. Not only will it feature Pete and I, and maybe disembodied voice guy if he isn't busy, but will also feature the Sacred Cows players, which leads us to an announcement. Two, we've developed such a wonderful relationship with some of our guests that they've graciously agreed to be the Sacred Cows players. This featured group of talented, funny folks will be featured in sketches as we move forward, and we'll promise to have more of them on the main show. Who are they? Well, our first five Sacred Cows players are Matthew Morris, M. Hiroshi Sutherland, Nika Howard, Veronica Gentry, and Sam Brady. Three of them will be even be on this very episode, so you won't want to miss it. We won't spoil who. Three. This episode on The Godfather 1 and 2 had such good conversation that it couldn't be contained in only one episode, so we broke it into two for your listening pleasure. The first half is not only The Godfather Part 1, so beware of spoilers that will be in for Part 2. Don't worry, though. You'll still get the verdict for Godfather Part 1 in this episode, uh, but you'll have to go to Part 2 to get the rest. Uh, Part 2 of our episode will also start with a new sketch called Lego the Godfather. It's a beauty, so you won't want to miss that. Ooh, one more thing. We'd like to welcome a new member to the Sacred Cows family, our editor, Eli Ramsey. He's handling the heavy lifting for all of the episodes. Thanks, Eli. All right, that's it. Did I get everything? No? Good? Huh? Well, whatever. Engage. Hey, guys, thanks for showing up. Yeah, we really seriously appreciate this. Hey, Pete. Pete. Hey, Mike. Thanks for having us, guys. Seriously, this is a blast. Thanks so much for having me. Thanks for having me back on. So, only a few minutes to go. You all got the second email? Good to go? Yeah, that should be fun. New intro, new ideas, maybe something classy. I drafted up a little thing. What do you think of... Greetings, listener. You've picked up the classiest podcast ever to grace the internet. Mike and Pete, gentlemen that they are... They know you value your time, so they look back at movies from the past to see if they stand the test of time. Sacred Classic? Find out now on Sacred Cows Tonight. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. I hear ya. Not bad. That's not bad, but uh, what about amping things up a little bit? You know, go courtside announcer style, you know, ringside that aggressive... Mm, get that oomph in there, something like... Um, ladies and gentlemen... It's time for the greatest movie review show in the world. In one corner, the classiest critic of this side of Hollywood, he is the white morph, Mike. And in the other corner, he ain't no quitter, and he don't need no Twitter, the righteous reviewer, Pete. Now put your hands together for Sacred Cows tonight. A lot of energy there, a lot of energy. Maybe some potential there? What about you, Nika? I was thinking something classical, sweet, charming. Something like, welcome to the best movie review podcast of all time. Tonight, Mike and Pete bring you a detailed look back on the movies we all remember. Is it sacred? Is it not? They'll let you know, along with some friends who are here for the fun. Join the herd, grab some popcorn, and get ready for Sacred Cows tonight. What about something sassy? We could totally rock that for oh, us. Oh, yes, yeah. yes, yes, yes. Dibs. Oh, that's... Wait, dibs? You can't call dibs. We've got to at least try out no, for No, Hero, clearly I have the best sassy voice. Oh. What the hell is going on here? Oh, hey, disembodied voice guy. Good to see you. Or, well, here you are. You're replacing me. Just because we are in negotiations doesn't mean you can just replace me. Wait, replace? No, this is just a drafting. What? You want me to grovel? I have been around long since before you two were even born. There's no way I will stand for this disrespect. Buddy, this is not an audition. So you're hiring already? How could you just cast me away so casually? 
Wait, we aren't applying for something? Um, I don't think so. Well, I'm not opposed to the idea. You three shut up! You know what? I get that there was cutbacks thanks to George taking over. I get this is guerrilla podcasting. But I am part of this show, and you will not get rid of me. Well, you know, we weren't really looking to do that anyways, so... Out of pity, I will even drop my rates for you. Because you need me. I guess? But you should realize that... I should realize? Shrewd negotiator you are. Fine. 25% cut. But that's where I call it. This inviting voice cut you really don't need... 40% final offer! Um... 75% and not a dime more! Now let's get into that studio and get this episode started. What the hell? I think our cost just dropped a bit, uh... Not a bad thing. Is he normally like this behind the scenes? He seems a lot more composed on the show. Normally he's at a 9. That was an 11. Okay, so shall we just come back to this later or just start the app? Seems like that may be the best. Thanks again, guys! So, um, Mike... Any ideas on when you might be doing callbacks? Wait, really? It's Sacred Cows Tonight! With your hosts, Mike Urban, Pete, featuring Disembodied Voice Guy, and guests, Brad Brockway and Steph Kingston. Featuring the Sacred Cows Tonight band, and now welcome your hosts, Mike and Pete. Thanks, disembodied voice guy. Così, ragazzo, voce in copria. What did you just say to me? Uh, I said, hey, disembodied voice guy. Arguably, that's what he said. Your Latin sucks. That's not Latin, it's Italian. Uh, arguably, it's Italian. Latin, Italian, whatever. The difference of a millennium or two. I can't keep track of all of these new developments. New developments? Like Latin turning into Italian? He's an ancient evil. You see, ah, uh, it'd take too long. I mean, at least Pete's tried to stay on theme. We are talking about the Godfather today, you know? I know that. I know all about that. I've been in and out of the Italian underworld, both figuratively and literally, since before there was an Italy. I've met mafiosos that make the Corleones look like Care Bears. In the 1940s, ha! You want to talk about a ruthless time? Check out the 12th century. Yikes. So is he always this angry? You know, a lot of people are asking that today. Welcome to Sacred Cows Tonight. I'm Mike. I'm Pete. And who do we have with us today, Pete? Well, we have, oh god, we have Brad and Stephanie, whose last names escape me, but they are wonderful guests. tripping over last names for a moment there? (laughs) (laughs) I was like, what what the hell? (laughs) We have the wonderful Brad and Stephanie with us today, Uh, and would you two care to introduce yourselves to our lovely guests? You are our guest. Would you like to introduce yourselves to to our listeners? Hello, listeners. I'm Brad. Last name Brockway, as it turns out. Um, I am on a couple of podcasts. One is the Love to Hate podcast, uh, which I'm on with the lovely Steph Kingston Hi. and a couple of other ladies. And then I'm also on the Art Arc Light Real Play podcast. How badass is that? Pretty badass. Mm, real it, badass. It's, it's good. All right. They, uh, look for pigs and try to fight people. Fantastic. Well, next up we have Stephanie Kingston. Would you like to tell us a little bit about yourself? Hey, folks. I'm Steph, and I've probably had my grubby fingers on every podcast you've ever listened to. Because I edit all the things. Except this one until now. That's true. That's true. This <laughs> is my first cameo here. It's all It's all part of my sort of aggressive method of um, just getting like a little touch of me on every podcast that's even tangentially related to the Geekly Inc. network. All right. So I'm glad uh, we could help you out. I edit a real play drunk Dungeons and Dragons show called Drunks and Dragons. You may have heard of it. Uh, I also edit uh, the ArcLight podcast that Brad was talking about. I'm about to be a cast member on it as well, Woo-hoo! 
which is exciting. Um, I uh, run, GM, and edit the Sailor Moon Random Encounters game on Geekly. Uh, Brad and I used to be on a Penny Dreadful podcast called Dreadful Thoughts. I edit Brute Force, which is a real play World of Darkness game podcast on Geekly Inc. I occasionally edit for Cthulhu and Friends for their side quest feed. Uh, I edit the Pokepub podcast. Holy buckets. And what and then I am also on Love to Hate. And I think that's all at the moment. I have a lot of, I have a lot of things. So Steph I have Damn. You been sleep? here and there amongst other shows. Yeah, no kidding. Jeez. Well, that's that's quite the CV you've got there. Holy shit. I don't sleep a lot. All right. Well, we all, we always like to start uh, our discussion um, with whatever you guys want to talk about, about all the myriad of things that you're on, uh, either together, not together, whatever. So what things do you want to talk about? And well, it really was a myriad today. <laughs> yeah. I feel like we, we might as well talk about the shows that we're both on, right? Sure. Do you want to do you want to talk about ArcLight and I'll talk about Love to Hate? <sighs> yeah, yeah, we can do that. We can do that. Okay, ArcLight is a podcast. It's a it's a real play Mutant Year Zero podcast. Um, it's, uh, it's actually done. We do it in two separate seasons. So uh, for a chunk of time, we are playing in the Mutant Year Zero world, where we are mutants in a post apocalyptic universe where we're trying to scavenge and kill people or not kill people and not be killed. Um, and then the other half of the time, uh, we play in a different game that's the same uh, general playstyle. It's by the same people, and but it's called Coriolis, where it's uh, essentially like space apocalypse kind of. Uh, it's it's supposed to be like um... the idea is Firefly, yeah. but instead of a Western influence, it's like a Middle Eastern influence. Interesting. Yeah, interesting. It's really dope uh we haven't started that season yet but i am super excited and not just because they're letting me play this time is it like firefly where there's no magic or anything like that or is it like uh firefly just in that it's a little bit more like mass effect okay actually yeah like yeah you have like certain abilities based on um your characteristics and the the deity you worship stuff like that oh okay oh neat so it's a very player-centric podcast, not not as much as uh, your characters are deciding things. You're, like, putting your characters in certain directions. <laughs> yeah, so, like, yeah. you always try to do something, but, like, the deck is heavily, heavily stacked against yeah. your player character in all of the, in both versions that we do. Mutants hmm. is very rough, like, and I, I think, I feel like we should mention, like, these these are not comedy shows. Right. Like, there might be a little more comedy in Coriolis just because it's less of a bleak setting, but Mutants is, like, bleak. Hmm. So if you want, like, a little chill-down podcast from your usual goofs, it's real good for that. Hmm. That's interesting. Right I, I don't hear enough of the uh, more serious podcasts out there, honestly. It's got, like, a, what's, oh, man. What's that movie where they're, like, walking a lot, and it's Viggo Mortensen, and it was a book? The Road. The Road? The Thank road? you. <laughs> yes. It's got a very road vibe. What's that thing where they're on a road for yeah. most of it? <laughs> but people can spit acid also. Yeah, and they're they're mutants, and they people don't actually exist anymore. Only mutants yeah. exist. It's, it's it's a it's, it's interesting. It's dark. Yeah, it's good, but like not like torture porn dark. No, that's, that's good. Well, that's really yeah. Because I'm kind of done with that kind of <laughs> stuff. You, you notice we haven't reviewed any of those yeah. movies on this feed. We yeah. haven't. We haven't yet, but perhaps not ever. <laughs> so. Mm. Mm. It's much more Mad Max Fury Road, much less yeah, Mad true. Max Thunderdome. Yeah. I'm very into that, then. Right on. That's a good thing. There's no Tina Turner is what I'm trying to say. <laughs> <laughs> but there are war boys. <laughs> we don't need another hero, all right? Oh, God. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Um, so our other project that we both work on is um, an as yet unreleased podcast um, that we are doing with Nika Howard and Kim Stonick, and it Ooh. is called Love to Hate, and it is a talk show where each week, week quote unquote, um, each of the hosts brings a topic, and they t- it is something that they either love or hate, and we present that topic to the other hosts and sort of 
discuss it and try to convince them. And then once the show starts releasing, the listeners will be able to go on Twitter and vote for whoever stated their case best, whoever they agreed with more, just whoever, whoever they thought was the winner of that week. And um, at the end of a 10 episode uh, stretch, We'll all tally up all the votes, and the winner will be the salt king or queen and gets to make all of the other hosts do something they hate. Awesome. That is an super awesome cool. Premise. I can't wait to hear it that. It is a ton of fun. Like, I... Topics range widely yeah, from, like, like, silly things like... Uh, sparkling water. Sparkling water to, <laughs> like, hating ketchup. Yeah. Or <laughs> loving attention. Mm-hmm. Oh. Or when girls bend over and are naked. <laughs> So, <laughs> all right yeah well I, keep my I've, ears open for that one yeah it is a complete blast to record every single time and i think that will carry on through what it's actually released so should be evident yeah. no real plans for releases at the moment just because we all have crazy lives and we record like once every month or two but it's it'll be really fun once it gets sure. out. About five of them in, in, in the uh we do, yeah, we have. Right? We're probably just gonna record the whole first season before we release. You know, that's not a bad plan. It's a good way to be. Yeah. The we we had eight <laughs> episodes in the can before yeah. we decided to garbage them all and, and start over again with this show. So. Oof. Yeah, that's, rough. that's true. But hey, Mike, I feel like we've got our formula now. What do you say, long weekend sometime? Yeah, that'd be great. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, post uh, post all that family crap. So, yeah. Well, those are sound like some wonderful projects. Uh, everybody should give them a listen, especially the ones uh, that are out currently. So we're going to talk about uh, The Godfather Part 1 in just a second. All right, so let's talk about The Godfather, or to known to some as The Godfather Part 1. Uh, this topic was suggested by Brad. Heck yeah, so it was. <laughs> I see. In his constant quest to educate me on movies. Well, you educated me too, Brad. I'd never seen this one. Hey, there you go. I'm not the only one. This is my second time. That's a twofer. I improved two people's lives. (laughs) Well, I have to say, it took this show in order to watch it because I'd never seen it. I honestly had no plans to ever watch it, ever. Um, (laughs) But I did, so there you go. It's one of those ones where you're like, oh yeah, Everybody says that that's a really important, good movie, but, like, I'll get to, I don't know, whatever. You know, it's there. Right. Mm-hmm. It is it's a there. daunting It's 45 years old. It's 18 hours long. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. Yeah, when Mike told me that the movie was six hours long, one and two, six hours long, yeah. I was like, man, I don't, if I'm going to watch a movie that long, it better have orcs in it, seriously. <laughs> Or just, Iron Man. It's five minutes shy of uh, of three hours for Godfather Part One, for sure. Yeah, just the first yeah, one. Yeah, so, like we were know. watching and we were like, okay, it's been a while. We must be like fifty percent of the way through the movie, and we still had like an hour and a half. We had a whole other movie to watch. Yes, people people are complaining now, like, oh, movies are too long. These superhero movies are so long. It's like, have you watched The Godfather? You know. <laughs> exactly well anyway um so we always have to do the elevator pitch so who is ready to do the elevator pitch of godfather part one and i will remind you we usually give that honor to a guest okay okay because i don't want to step for you on me too uh you do it okay so it's like under a minute, right? That's the goal. That's the idea, but thirty seconds, I think, right? No, it's it, it's like a okay, ten seconds. a minute, but no. whatever you want, I don't care. <laughs> all right, all right. So essentially, The Godfather is the story of an old man dying and a young man becoming his father. That's every Done. movie ever. Beautiful. That is true. <laughs> Done. <laughs> okay. Daddy issues. So Star Wars. <laughs> no, uh, to be a little bit more specific, uh, effectively, it's about the the. Um, rise of Mark Michael Corleone to uh, become the Godfather, which is a title held by you know mafiosos, um, formerly held by his dad Vito Corleone. Um, Michael, however, has sworn off the family business. He he has kind of uh, been away from the family. He got in the army, was a World War II hero. Comes home, his dad gets shot, and then he gets into the family business, and everybody else dies. 
There you go. But they left a skeleton crew of people to man Godfather Part 2 two years later. <laughs> That's it's, right. That's right. Surprising amount of recurring characters. Connie sticks around. Yeah, yeah. for sure. She's real drunk, though. You gotta have Talia Shire. <laughs> yeah. So, man, I was... I was uh, surprised that um, how young, I mean, all the cast looks in this, because you're used to oh seeing every every one of them. In... Except for Abe Vigoda, dude. That guy's been 90 for 40 years. <laughs> I Accurate. was going to say Brando, too, but like that feels obvious. Brand, yeah, Brando, this is you yeah. know towards the end of his, his workable well, But that's what's career. crazy, is he was that way all the way up until like, you get to like 94 with the Isle of Dr. Moreau, right? Where he's even bigger and he's even puffier. Was was Godfather one of the ones where he was like infamously crazy on set? That's what I was wondering. Because he looked like he had the potential to be that. I mean, what, um, what the heck? I think he I, was still really... fairly sane at this point. Yeah. Okay, still a respected actor and not like, like I mean, a he Hollywood was, he was like, But the thing is, like, he was a super method actor, right? So, like, mm-hmm. he was, like, when he was on set, he was fucking Vito Corleone. Right. And, like, that's a weird thing to have to deal with because... <laughs> that would yeah. have actually been kind of awesome, I have to say. <laughs> I wanted to see... He's just walking around like... Can you give me some oranges? <laughs> <laughs> well, this is the guy, you know, I, I understand. He, he probably had some crazy going on. This is the guy, I think it was the island of Dr. Moreau, where he was so infamously insane, needed to have, like, uh, 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 like a dwarf on yeah. set at all times to run through his lines And he wouldn't memorize his lines or something. Like, he had yeah, to right. use cue cards because he refused to memorize his lines. Something like that. Yeah, yeah he went he off the deep end. He got real bat shit near the end. Put on, like, 200 pounds and... and just went crazy. Yeah. But then, like, the other thing is, like, fucking Al Pacino, man. I know. Like, what? Like, I, I, it took, I didn't recognize him at first, and, like, I vaguely knew that he was in the movie in, like, the background part of my brain where you just pick up information. And it man, wasn't you... until Brad made some kind of, like, actually called him, like, I think Al Pacino, where it clicked. I was like, oh, God. When I was watching the credits of this movie, I was floored because I had recognized almost nobody in the movie. Uh, and I'm like, Pacino, Duvall, uh, James Caan, friggin' Keaton? Diane Keaton. I was like, who she the hell is that lady? completely different. Diane no kidding. Like, I, know. I, I still feel like, I, like, I could recognize Diane Keaton, but like, I can never, like, James Caan. He doesn't look anything like no, James No, he doesn't. Caan. I know, doesn't. right? A young man. Yeah, right? Yeah, that it just blew me away. Obviously, Abe Vigoda looked exactly the same as he did in you know nineteen ninety nine. But no, it I I really do think Pacino was definitely the uh, the one that surprised me the most with how uh, different he looks as an older guy. You know, yeah. I mean, you could see it. It's the eyes; they're the same. Well, I think see it's it, also just, just like in my brain, he's just always like Mister Craggy Face. So to see him know, with right? a young man's face was very weird. And also, like, with the dark hair, I think, was a lot of it, too. Well, I think a lot of, some of it probably also has to do with, like, lighting, right? Like, mm-hmm. the, the movie is so darkly lit right. that, like, his features are almost always in shadow. Mm-hmm. True. And that's probably a stylistic choice by the director, I would imagine. I mean, Oh, no, yeah, know. totally, totally. Right. Yeah. Although there were some rather brightly colored. I was expecting the entire movie to be, like, you know, in a dark study by candlelight, <laughs> you know, that kind of thing. But they had some bright, I mean, it starts right out with that big bright colored wedding. There, there's a I ton mean, of they, parties and parades in yeah. this series. Like, and I, I guess that's Italian culture, but like there's so many parades in this in these movies. Well, I, I think some of that's like at um, least four. Part of that is, is the whole, like, uh, you know, sometimes the best place to hide is in plain sight um, kind of thing, right. you know. Mm-hmm. They, they make sure that they're seen out in public and do things, you know, to hide, uh, you know, what's really going on. Uh, so, think, go ahead, Brad. Sorry. No, I was just say I think I think I'm probably going to wait until we get to part two to talk about the book because the book mm-hmm. is both. Ah, uh, uh, I thought that might, and be that's the case. why everybody ignores part uh, three. <laughs> also, because there is 20 years apart, but we we don't talk about that. It doesn't exist. It's like the Star Wars prequel. Part three is bad fan fiction, right? No. (laughs) Essentially. Yeah. (laughs) All right. Well, the um, thing that I was, oh, I I was going to mention the thing that I was really struck by with this movie that I had never seen before was 
how familiar it was because yes. obviously pop culture has pop cultured the crap out of this movie. It was really interesting to me to see all of these elements that I recognized from various parodies and homages and all that, but like actually stitched together as a cohesive thing and to see where they all fit within each other and like in terms of the actual plot. Right, right. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Like you could, I mean, it felt like every single moment of this movie had been parodied at some point or another. Like, it would be fun to do an edit of different shows and movies that had parodied each of the moments and string them together into this movie, <laughs> only with a bunch of different, you know, well, for God's sakes, I don't know. I had that. Dom DeLuise made a career out of parodying this. I mean... <laughs> yeah, Don Giovanni. Yeah, from Robin Hood and Tights. Yeah, with the cotton balls. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I got my cotton balls right here for when I have to do the joke. Later, so. <laughs> All right, well... Let's talk about the opening. I want to talk about the opening because I think the opening pretty much sums up the movie. iconic. Yeah. I mean, this is the opening is what the movie is all about. I mean, it it gives you everything you need to know about the the, their lifestyle in one short vignette. I'm not talking the long wedding thing, but I mean, just the first, you know, Mm -hmm. 10 minutes or whatever, you know, scene, basically. See, maybe scene. maybe mm-hmm. that was my problem because it took me at least twenty minutes to start to understand Marlon Brando's uh, speech. Mm-hmm. It was very difficult. I watched to it all with it, subtitles, so I might have got lost. We were watching it, and Brad would say all of Brando's lines before Brando said it, so yeah. I could just like hear it twice. <laughs> see, <laughs> see, I'd go. like I to get uh, have hard time. I'd like to get Brando in this movie and Tom Hardy in The Dark Knight Rises together, and just have them have a oh, conversation. Fuck. Oh. <laughs> oh boy there's another edit you can do youtube will be richer for it <laughs> yeah i watched it with subtitles because i agree i found him hard to understand uh and actually i watched the whole uh series with subtitles because there's a lot of just quiet and understated um mm. moments that's true. so i wanted to understand the dialogue well, yeah. even though i you know got the delivery that's where i missed out um it, it's amazing like and this is i mean not just godfather but like when you watch things with the subtitles on, it's amazing how much stuff in there that you might miss if you were not watching subtitles. Like I always yeah. turn mm-hmm. subtitles on yeah. for everything that I watch, everything on Netflix, everything. But I, but you know, I watched this movie the way it was intended to be watched um, as a YouTube rental on a smartphone, <laughs> so I couldn't do the subtitles because YouTube subtitles are just god awful, yeah. always wrong. Oh, geez, the Coppola subtitles. I have yeah. the Coppola Restoration Collection one, and uh, yeah, Ooh. they still weren't great. <laughs> there, there was just something missed. Like no. their subtitle guy was just like an afterthought. I don't know. Like, <laughs> how do you get that job? I want that job. I'm the dude who's just like, oh yeah, this is what he said. You have to watch the whole movie. Yeah. Brad was going to do it anyway, uh, so. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I got <laughs> yeah. Although, like, have you ever had to, like, transcribe audio? It's very painstaking. Yes. You're stopping it and going yeah. back constantly. Script, right? like, I guess, yeah. Yeah, Pete has had a job where he literally uh, has been paid it, right. to do that, yes. Yeah, and it's, you know, your five-minute clip's going to take you, like, half an hour yeah. or something like that. But, yeah, like, this, this scene is, like... That it gets, it's every Godfather parody is the first five minutes of the movie, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. which yep. is inter- like, and like yeah. there's other parts for sure, but this is the, the big one. And so it was, it was interesting to see it really like play out and to see all the context for it. And like, also I love that basically the character of Connie only exists for this scene because he has to have a daughter getting married. <laughs> <laughs> pretty oh, much yeah. uh, this the day like, of his daughter's oh my wedding God, like i don't like i don't want to get too into it because it's like a fucking a whole other podcast but the the female characters in these movies are awful they don't have too many dimensions or, to them or agencies they exist for or, plot yeah they are they're just plot objects they are it's plot very dis- for sure yeah it's very disheartening but um yeah. Well, I mean, the details of that. That was one of the questions we got. Podcast, you know, was but... to talk about that. So, I mean, we—I don't care where we where we do. I think we should. Um, you know, what do we think about uh, you know the portrayal of women and the uh, patriarchy and stuff? And uh, I think obviously this is super patriarchy heavy. I mean, the movie's called The Godfather. Oh, yeah. It takes yeah. place yeah, in the forties. Totally. 
Uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, no, it's the, like, the women it's in the this. 40s, right? The like, 40s yeah. and the mob. Yeah, the, I think the, like the strongest female character is probably Mama Corleone. Yes, you know, uh, and dope. and she doesn't even have any lines. I don't think you she know. She just kind of keeps quiet. Yeah. You know, so I don't know. It it, it they're not yeah, the main plot rough. drivers. Certainly, I mean they you know they are part of plot driving sequences, but usually as passive participants. Yeah. And unfortunately, yeah, they're uh, victims of violence and anything. stuff like that. Yeah, or like so. or, like again, like Connie, right? Like later in the movie, her fucking dirtbag husband is the reason that such and such of chain events get kicked off. Oh no, it's total. That's total bullshit. I, I, Sonny's the reason that everything happens in this movie. Oh yeah, yeah, because he's a hothead. Yeah, because because Sonny, Sonny speaks up at the meeting and that gets his dad yeah, shot. Yeah, I guess. Which then get, brings Michael back into the family, and then Sonny can't control his shit, which is why he goes to go get uh, Carlo. Um, Connie's husband, right, and right. that's why he gets killed. Like, and he, he gets squibbed to death. That's right. Yeah. So, like, all um, of the squibs. Well, it's almost like more annoying because, like, okay, so then, like, why do you have to have the scene where Carlos like a dick to Connie and like beats almost beats the shit out of her and no does beat the shit out of her. Well, to be fair, there are a number of elements of this movie that could probably have been done away with entirely. Uh, that's one of the smaller ones. Yeah, I don't, yeah, I don't know. I wonder if that was just about making it real for Connie. Maybe. I it maybe. I don't know. Like I could see hmm. it almost well, But I think we could have just as easily had like a phone call conversation between like if we would have had t- a, a two way phone call conversation between Connie, who has like a black eye, if we didn't have to see the right. scene or whatever, with between her and Sonny, you probably could have gotten rid of that whole like chasing her around the house, having Connie throw plates and stuff off the Yeah. Off the table. I guess like I will say, like, that's like the only scene where she actually like Ezra does anything for herself where she's like fucking chugging plates around and shit. Mm-hmm. He's like, I'm pissed. I'm gonna throw things. I am angry. Yeah, uh, that scene really but not enough to like made me feel weird because I I almost felt like um, at least the this was made in the 70s, right? Or yeah, so yeah, right. So was the scene meant to also say, okay, their marriage is messed up, and was it trying to sort of say that Connie was also messed up and deserved it or something? I don't know. That was confusing to me. No, I don't think so. I, I see. Like, no, I don't I mean, not in my mind. I, so the reason why I'm glad that we did, we're doing both movies is because I feel like that scene is in that movie for the end of Godfather part two. When he, when she's sitting with Michael and is like, Michael, I understand that I was, like I, there are things that I've done that have been petty, like mm-hmm. because like to me, well, yeah, obviously she should be angry at Carlo, and th- she starts breaking stuff before Carlo starts hitting her, mm-hmm. and it's oh, kind of totally, like yeah. she's it's kind of she like she's throwing a, a temper tantrum, which is not to say that like again I'm not endorsing anything here, um, but <laughs> like lately. I feel like that's to sh- that's to show her growth from the beginning of the, the beginning of that movie to the end of Godfather Part Two. Right, where she's become more level-headed, kind yeah, of. Yeah, and it kind of know. also lets you know where she's at at the beginning of Godfather mm-hmm. Part Two, which is why right. I, I, which I, is not level-headed. Yeah, exactly. Interesting. Hmm. Never thought about it that way. For I sure. Suppose. For sure. Yeah, it's it's a very, 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 very background character development arc. Mm-hmm. See, this is yeah. the kind of thing you have to watch the movie probably more than once to really true, yeah. delve into which who, who the hell has time for that Frank. right this guy well there yeah. was <laughs> um there, i was reading something i don't remember where it was when they were talking about um coppola uh, and what he decided to put in in both of these movies and you know i don't mind us talking a little bit about two even though we're sort of trying to focus on one right now um just that mm-hmm. part of what he did was make sure that while he was showing that the corleone family were human beings he also wanted to um, make sure we knew they were monsters, you know? <laughs> mm. And so sometimes, I guess, when he would make a choice to show um, something that didn't necessarily need to be showed because it could just be implied, it was to further villainize, you know, the choices that the members mm. of the family were making. Sure. Oh, yeah, totally. Well, because it, it, in a lot of ways, I think it's like a, a condemnation of the idea of women as objects, right? Because, like... Carlos is a shitty dude, and all he yeah. does throughout the all he does throughout the movie is get drunk and hit is women. Be an asshole, yeah, yeah, yeah. And even well, and again, like this is, happens in the second one, but like at the end when Kay finally fucking leaves Michael, 
Like, that's an important decision, and she actually goes through with it, too, despite the fact that he, like, fucking hits her in the face. Yeah. He does. He gets angry. Mm -hmm. But, like, well, and then the associated decision with that, where she decides to have an abortion in the 70s because she doesn't want to have his kids anymore, like, that's rough. But her decision. Yeah, that was a particularly harsh scene for the yeah. viewer and for everybody it's in it, I'm certain. It's a good scene, but it's rough. Yeah. It was rough. That's a good way of putting it. That, the whole, you know, we don't want to, t- we're not talking Godfather Part 2 right now, but yeah. very emotionally we will get to that. different We'll get to that, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so, yeah. for sure. Let's bring it back to Part 1. Bring us back, Michael. Okay, so, uh, basically, Part 1. So, you know, we start off with the wedding, which... <laughs> there's a lot of little tiny things that happen in the wedding, but uh, as far as pacing is concerned, that's my least favorite part of the of the two movies. It's just because it goes on forever and ever and ever. <laughs> really? Man. Yeah. I was asleep at nine o'clock on Friday night because <laughs> I tried to watch this movie and I was oh, an hour into that it. That was an amateur. Yeah, 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 yeah. I know. That being right? said, I actually snoozed through a fair amount of this movie too, but it was more in the middle. There you go. Yeah. But see, I, then I had to wake up the next morning, put on a pot of coffee, mm. and watch it in the light of day, you know. And and that was a huge improvement <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> because I wasn't going to fall asleep. So, But yes, it suffers from 70s pacing, which is uh, pretty common in like what I generalize as like pre-Star Wars movies, basically. I think they, that's fair, yeah. It's a very different very style of filmmaking. Quiet. Yeah, they're, they're, and they're quiet with very little incidental yeah. music, except for like during scene changes and stuff like that. was one thing like I that. noticed, yeah, there's very little soundtrack to this movie. Yeah, it's exactly. very like, like the sound has to be organic to the plot yeah. for there to be sound. Yeah, the, the same themes occurring over and over for like uh, Michael and, and uh, Vito and stuff like that. Right. And like and a man, lot of these like really intense conversations they have, there is there's nothing in the background, so you have nothing else to focus on. But it's great; it works because they're excellent actors. Yeah, that's true, for sure. I mean, the movie was slow and sometimes, you know, well, no, I don't even want to say that. It was a slow movie. It was a kind of a quiet movie, but I didn't find it uninteresting yeah. at all. You know. It it uh, the the force of the personalities that were on the screen was enough to carry it. I was thinking the whole time I was watching, uh, especially part one, uh, that this movie in 2017, if it was made, um, if it had never existed before, when, oh my god, it would be an indie movie it would be so by Michael Bay. It would be an indie movie, or yeah. or it, it would, would be a Netflix series. That's the only way they could make it. Yeah, I could, yeah, I could see totally. it being redone as a Netflix series. Do you think it's Starring one of those Brian things Cranston. where people would go and and redo it, or do you think it's kind of considered untouchable? Like, I honestly don't know if anything's considered untouchable anymore. But do you think I people... would like to think that it's untouchable? I, yeah. I think that because of how bad three was and is, okay, people are less inclined to revisit the material. They would probably opt to make a mafia movie that was not this. But yeah, because you can do that right. easily. Yeah, yeah. Like Narcos, see John Wick. Yeah, <laughs> John Wick is that's right. I said it. I'm standing by it. John Wick is our Godfather. What? Huh. I actually have no idea what John Wick is about. Interesting. Is Keanu Reeves our Al Pacino? Was a, or? was a surprisingly good movie. <laughs> They've got the same craggy I'll face. Take it. I'll take it. They both look good in a suit. <laughs> that's a terrible thing. I guess like the the modern equivalent of the Godfather is all the parodies in every movie ever. I think the modern yeah. equivalent of the Godfather is Breaking Bad. Oh, I, I could, t- okay. I could see that. yeah, in the yeah. Maybe. Right? That's Family more like Man, the Scarface. You know what though? I feel like if Marvel wanted to and they would never do this, but if Marvel wanted to, they could make a modern day Godfather that it's just the Kingpin. True. Oh. <laughs> True. Interesting. That's Daredevil season 3. This, I'm really glad this deep viral marketing for Daredevil season three we've been doing has finally paid off. Cha-ching. Right. Checks in the mail. It's taken a while. We'll finally be able to get our show back from George. <laughs> yeah, right? Maybe. <laughs> He'll never let go of it. It's all out of spite. Uh, spite's a perfectly good reason to do anything, apparently. I think so. so. It's currency. So speaking of spite, <laughs> there's a lot of spite in this movie. We've gotten past like the first scene. There's some spite. 
Certainly. Um, a lot of spite uh, in that people are getting killed all over the place in this movie. And boy, does 70s era fake blood in movies look terrible. <laughs> it looks like melted orange Crayola crayons. Hadn't quite gotten the blood syrup cocktail right Yeah, yet. no. The corn no. syrup technician has not been hired yet. Is is really no, but bad. the acting it's is really, really good to go I with it. That, so of course, I'll take it. <laughs> I I found you know, it really interesting. Um, how many of the death scenes I feel like I had seen parodied and and redone? Like weird moments where, because like, and and maybe he can speak to this too. Like weird moments where you're watching the movie and you're like, oh, I've seen this before in some form or another. But yeah. That I was particularly struck by that exact yeah. feeling when it's, uh, it's very uh, Corleone, when, when Vito was gunned down by the fruit stand. I was like, why would this seem familiar to me? But I'm sure I've seen yeah. that kind of a scene portrayed and, before. And I had one with the, when Sonny gets shot down at the toll booth. Yeah, yeah. That seemed very familiar to me as well. I swear to God the Simpsons sure. did that once or twice. I, oh, I'm sure. I think I'm it's, sure. yeah. Like, it... What am I thinking of? Um... Luca All Brasi? of the Al Pacino movies, right? Like, oh well, yeah, well, yeah that's been, been very parodied for sure. I think when Mister Burns was shot and he collapsed and was dead, it was the same like aerial camera angle as <laughs> as Brando getting getting shot. But maybe that's what I'm thinking of. Maybe. Yeah, but but it's one of those things where it is so kind of subtly entwined in modern pop culture that. You can get deja vu while watching a movie you've never seen before. Yes. And I think we talked about a movie. I cannot remember what it was, but we talked about a movie on this podcast where I had the exact same experience. Hadn't seen it, but it felt very familiar. And I wish I knew what that was so that I could say American it right Psycho? now. But I don't think so. It was so, oh, okay. somewhat recent. Have Jaws? I can't remember. No, we haven't done Jaws yet. No, we didn't do Jaws. Okay. We didn't do Jaws. Oh, oh well, that's another you know. one I haven't seen. Where I feel like if I watched it, I would like recognize most of the movie. Hmm. Jaws belongs to a different class of movies for me, and that's the ones that I've seen uh, fifteen to twenty minutes of on a hundred different occasions on cable <laughs> TV or something like that. I yeah, could piece yeah. together the entire movie from that. Jaws was the first blockbuster. True. That is true. There you go. See, I know that, but I haven't seen it. So. If I were to take away the, some themes from The Godfather Part 1, I think the themes that I got out of it were that, like, as many times as they said that, um, no, it's nothing, it's just business, it's always personal. <laughs> and, and, all, <laughs> yes. and also... It's always personal. It's never just business. Right. And, and also, I... Well, it's the family took business, away so that of course it's very personal. I mean, and that's true, right? Like, that's inherently contradictory. Mm-hmm. Right. I feel like the main lesson of the movie is be the one who gives favors. Don't be the one who asks. Who is oh. asking? Yeah. Yeah. That's, yeah. Don't go near oranges. You never know. <laughs> Stay away. Yeah. yeah. Do not eat fruit. Oranges are bad for that's you. That's true. Every but always every drink time Vito gets close to an orange, something bad scene. happens. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. For sure. Well, except that, hey, well, no, that's no, true. That's the second movie. That's much like an orange that was probably drenched in the pesticide that his little grandson was going around. Oh. <laughs> yeah, right. That's a fun little toy there. I forgot that don't about squirt that grandpa yet. with the with the agent orange or whatever the hell it was. Yeah, bad stuff. <laughs> Seven dust. That's what I'm thinking of. Okay, now I can just think of the band, but <laughs> right. What what other themes uh, would you like to take away from this movie, Mike? Well, and I think this goes into part two. It's just that the the cycle never ends. As much as they want to break the cycle right. of violence, uh, it's always there. And you know, the, the whole thing is about. Obviously, Brad mentioned this before, where uh, Michael doesn't want to become his dad, and at the end of the movie, he's his dad. You know, basically. Mm-hmm. Sure. And and the scene where he talks to Kate and he's like, "We're gonna be legit in like five years. We'll be totally legit." And then like we jump forward ten years or whatever. Right. Well, I think it's easy to, or it's 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 hard to be good, mm-hmm. and it, it, even if it's not easy, it's accessible to be successful at being, you know, yeah. a criminal. Well, so. and, and as we're we're talking about this, I think the the scene at the very end of the first movie where the baptism scene that's intercut with all of the enemies the, the of massacre. the family being taken care of like that's like the perfectly quintessential scene of that right like mm-hmm. he's he's literally in the church talking about how he's renouncing satan 
And I think at this point, maybe in his head, he still kind of believes it a little bit. And he's also having all of his family's enemies murdered. Like, it's he, a rebirth cannot, for him. I, I yeah, feel like it's not like it. he. I feel like he's very good at compartmentalizing. True. Like, mm, yes. Yeah. Two things are yes. not related at all to him. So yes. like, yeah, I just killed a shit ton of people, but I'm here for your for your for my godson. It'll be fine. Yeah. Your his dad won't be, but I will. Be. He's becoming <laughs> yeah. a literal his godfather. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. The scene of him in the church. Uh, that's like one of the most recognizable scenes for me because uh, I watched The Devil's Advocate way too many times, ah, there you and go. like him in the church, like like putting his finger in it and it's sizzling up. I'm like, it's still Michael Corleone <laughs> just getting his because because Michael's a terrible person. Oh yeah, yeah. Well, and it's it's interesting yeah. because like he does he starts off as like your quintessential good guy at the beginning, right? War hero in in literally the first time we see him, he's in his uniform. Right. Like the he's good got kid this who cute little girlfriend clean. and he's at his sister's wedding. And yeah. And then he, hmm. he becomes the godfather. So at what point do you think that Michael Corleone basically became irre- irredeemable? Not until the second movie. Really, I I would say uh, maybe no, the baptism know, it, scene. It, it, no, That's I wouldn't even say the, the baptism point. scene. I would probably say when he says no at the very end of the movie. Really, you think it's that Cause, far? Because when Connie's like, because 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 he he takes Carlo back and he's like, you know, you're you're fine and you're gonna be fine, and then he has him killed, and then Connie's like, what did you do? What did right. you do? Yeah, okay. And he's like, yeah. no, I wouldn't do that. And I think at that point he's pretty irredeemable because he clearly yeah. did. Like yeah. he's he's lying to family, and that's right. like, the yeah. whole point. The whole point for Vito was family. Lied to his yeah. sister, and then lied to his wife when she was like, "Did you do it?" He's like, nah. "See, I I think it forget I about think it, it was all the way back when he does his first kill when he gets the gun from behind the toilet and goes and shoots those guys." Does the hit in the diner? I, I, really? Because up to but then but I don't know. I feel like he he runs off to Italy, and I think he. He genuinely feels like he's escaping his problems for a while, and even when he, when his fiance gets blown up in a car, I feel like even poor, then poor he Apollonia. doesn't. He's not like, I don't. He 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 goes back because he feels like he has to, and he has to get revenge. But I don't think he, that he personally is, um, like gone at that or irredeemable at that point. Sure, you could make an argument. I'm sure yeah. for any number of I think points he's, in the he's movie, he's still like a man seeking revenge. But then at some point he's not just, he's not seeking revenge anymore. He's just like guarding his territory and lying to his family. And it's interesting because I I kind of feel like the murder of Apollonia is kind of the point where like that paranoia sets in for him, mm. and that's why I feel like so much of the stuff that happens in the second movie happens is because that's his state of mind where it's like I have to kill all of these people or they will kill everyone who I like and love. So wait, Brad, you thought that that whole scene in Italy that took up uh, 45 minutes of the movie or whatever was valuable in some way? It was. It was still, it, <laughs> actually, I, it, it didn't need to be that long. I, I was, was it, that was actually really useful just because it sets up so much for the second movie as well. Okay. And okay. I just had a thought, like, not, you know, to bring this into, like, a modern context, um, he, like, he ends up being, like, very, like, Cersei Lannister, like. True. Ah. Everyone who's not us is an enemy, you know? Okay, okay. See, I thought it was filler. Fun filler. I liked it, but mm-hmm. um, I, I have ideas for cutting down the running I, length I of the movie. And that's Apollonia one of was an insanely useless character. Oh, absolutely. Well, it's the minute her that name she sounds showed like a up. mountain range. Right. The minute she showed up, I knew she was going to have to die somehow. <laughs> because, like, otherwise that would just cause too many plot problems that weren't you know the main plot of the it's, movie so it's like so how's she gonna die then it's insane to me that Apollonia okay michael like dates and marries this woman in in the entire time that he's in italy and comes back and then gets together with the same woman he was with yeah. before and she has no, no idea yeah he like, never it mentions never it, comes I'm sure. up like oh if by the smart. way i married a woman while i was gone and she got blown up and I wonder how much of that, like, informs their relationship in the second movie. You know what I mean? Because there's clearly a oh, distance yeah. between them. Like, he, she's his second choice, and he's not really afraid to let her know. And you know I, what I mean? Yeah, and I think even when, like, I don't The one thing, and granted, like, again, we're talking about the, the female characters are not very well developed. But 
and Kate gets to this point, but when Michael comes back and he's like, hey, do you want to throw away your good life as a teacher and a not mob boss wife and come be with me again? Because I kind of need you, even though it's been a few years and I haven't even sent you a letter. And she's just like, <laughs> okay, cool. Yeah, I guess that's what I'm here for. It's weird to me. Yeah, so I, I guess, I don't know, like... I think it's it's I think it's shitty writing to have someone be a doormat only to have them stand up to them for themselves later. But true, that's basically like all the female characters in this movie. Yeah, see, I, this is where they this, don't get the this same is where writing. I think quality. Michael was irredeemable from that moment he made the kill because he basically chose mm-hmm. the scumbag decision every time after that. <laughs> you know. He definitely at least started down a path at that Vito point. was yeah. way more redeemable than okay. him. Yeah. I mean, at least the parts we saw. He was more pragmatic. Vito, well, and I, I guess that's maybe one of the underlying concepts of the two movies, right? Is like Vito was the, you know, the godfather and he absolutely ordered people killed and ran a criminal enterprise. But he was also able to keep his family together, which was really important to him. Whereas Michael... Right. I think it's was a large part of that. A, a large part of it is, is, a, is a question of priorities, right? Because, like, as we learn in the second movie, like, a lot of what Vito did was for was on behalf of his family. Yeah. Right. Up until the point where Michael is in that hospital room, and then he moves his father mm. and goes outside and gets punched by a cop. He doesn't really consider him a part. He doesn't consider himself right. a part of that family. So it makes sense that like the priorities of the two Dons would be different. Mm. The guy I feel the worst for, though, is Tom Hagen. Like, dude, he gets the shaft. Oh, he didn't do man. Anything but wrong. he's not family. Tom didn't do a goddamn thing wrong. He's not. But, okay, no. but to be fair, like, Tom in the end is kind of in the same spot he was always in, right? Like, he's not. He's not. He's not where he was when Vito was around, but, like, at least he's not, like, the rest of Michael's family who fucking hate him. Like, he's just. No, he's and just still there. I think... He's just the guy. Part of the point is that even though they always say you're just like our real brother, he's not really one of the brothers, you know, he's different. Yeah. Uh, he, and, he, you know, he, he's not blameless either. I mean, he's a lawyer who represents, you know, mob bosses. Mm-hmm. So, but but it's all part of the family business. And he considers himself part of the family, but, you know, in some underlying way, he's not. He's He's not blood, which I think is a very big, like... Like, oh, fuck no, this is second movie stuff again. Nature we'll get versus I was going to say all this stuff. shit with Fredo, but we'll get into that later. All right. Yeah. yeah. Fredo's not that big in the first movie. No. He's just there. No, I think I think they only basically, you know, they call him, you know, my son or, you know, my brother, depending on who it is, um, mm-hmm. for Tom. One, they want him to do something that's difficult to do. Right. It's like the, a little layer of emotional guilt, almost. Right. You know. You've always been a son like a to me. Reminder. You've always been a brother to me. Do this. Right. Well, what's funny is, like, Tom is generally speaking throughout the movie, if you consider it, like, all of the end, how, how things ever end up, he's correct throughout the entire movie. Everything that he, Every recommendation that he makes to people, had they followed it, <laughs> would have prevented conflict at every moment. So there's like a there's, like, a second movie from Tom's perspective where it's, like, Fuck, these people won't listen to me. <laughs> the Rosencrantz and Guildenstern yeah. are dead of the Godfather. <laughs> exactly. exactly. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, let's see. Other other things in the Godfather Part 1 that we really want to talk about. I suppose there's the iconic horse head scene where I believe the Muppets have done this with oh, a yes. Muppet horse head at one point or another. <laughs> and, the, and that's, again, like the one of the what it comes so early in the movie. Like, I was really I surprised know. at how many of those really iconic scenes were very early on. That's like an hour in. Oh, yeah, like, I thought I thought they were going to make us wait for them. Yeah. <laughs> There's like, it's, it's exposition, right? Because you're still learning about the power yeah. that Vito has through whatever means and, he has. And I think that speaks to the writing and the way the scenes were put together that like these basic just exposition scenes are iconic mm-hmm. and because they do pack in so much meaning the um i want to say specifically about the horse's head 
that I thought that that was going to be so totally lame. Like, what a stupid thing to do. But when you find out that it is a, what, quarter or three quarter of a million dollar prize horse's head, it's like, that's badass. As soon as there was a horse on screen. That's a practical effect. It's a real horse's head. Oh, my God. Dang. Where do you get a horse's head? Yeah, where do you get a horse's head at short notice? Ironically enough. uh, Blue Factory. They got it from a, a pet food factory. Oh, is that right? Oh, no. Uh, Coppola would, every time somebody, anytime anybody would ask him about the horse's head in the, in interviews, he would be like, yeah, it was a real horse's head. And everyone would cry because everybody likes puppies and dogs and cats. They all feed their cats and dogs puppy food. But yeah, that horse, before we got the head, was being ground into dog food. Mm Mm-hmm. Purina. Mm. (laughs) Mm-hmm. Nice. I'm not going down that that road. So I mean, I <laughs> de- depending on your your view, which was a better use for the horse head in the long run. I mean, that horse head is fucking famous. Yes, that horse is immortal. Yeah, it's people have been talking the about it for decades. Most famous disembodied horse head in the world. Did somebody say disembodied? <laughs> oh God. Nay, nay. Oh, fuck. Sorry. Oh, <laughs> sorry. Him. I'll get back in my corner. I think there's a question that everyone who's watched the Godfather has asked themselves. Sonny's and I want dick. you guys to try and answer it. Well, no, we know. Uh, well, if you've read the book, uh, we'll, we'll get to that. Okay. Later. Uh, how the fuck did that guy stay asleep for all of that? <laughs> <laughs> He's coated from head to toe He's in horse blood. And this is, this is me. Comp- this is my complete conjecture. But he's like Mr. Hollywood guy, right? I assume that the implication is like he's like taking eighteen sleeping pills to go to bed. Yeah, I was or gonna say everybody's drunk and stoned yeah, off their ass. Yeah, he's coked out. He's just he's not sober enough, so he's out like a light. And or it's a testimony to just how fucking good Vito's people are. Truth, yeah, truth. I like to think it's both. Por qué no los dos? Yeah, exactly. Spanish. All right. Well, we should probably start wrapping up Godfather One. Um, oh, I, okay, I know one of the questions we got was what are, like, the best parodies? Should we go out on that? Oh, gosh, but there's just so many. Okay, like, the one that comes to my mind first is, like, the first one, or is the one I most recently saw, but it's so good, which is, um, Zootopia. Oh, okay. Because it's fan-fucking-tastic. It's little, like, gerbil godfather, and they're tiny, and they have a tiny little wedding and a tiny little bride, and it's great. I have not seen Zootopia so yet. I, I have not seen that one yet, no. I, I gotta go with Dom DeLuise. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah, Men in Tights is the one I always think, I think of. I mean, you can't ever I go wrong with I take these cotton balls from you with my hands, and I put <laughs> the them in my pocket. cotton balls with my hands. I, I think the entire uh, <laughs> Animaniacs, Goodfeathers, Goodfellas, sort of mashup of the Godfather stuff and stuff from Goodfellas. Godfather, Goodfellas, and Taxi yeah. Driver. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Ooh. How much De Niro can you get That's in your in your cartoons? Yeah. <laughs> hey, and are the kids going to really eat it up? Who knows? The, the kids are going to laugh and have no fucking clue what's yep, going on. They're going to yeah. be like, do not get that that's no. uh, Joe Pesci and, and uh, Robert De Niro. <laughs> but yeah, I, I think as, as somebody watching it for the first time, I, I enjoyed it. I appreciated it. I, it was cool to see all of these lifelong references all in one piece and i think it holds yeah. up mm-hmm. i never in a million years expected to like this movie really I was dreading watching it yeah i, I did not and, and the more i had that thought the more i felt foolish because i told people i was watching the godfather i'm watching the godfather i'm watching the godfather and they're like oh you're gonna love it and i'm like gee i just don't see that I, happening I get, but it's totally one of those movies where like the hype is really high yeah, exactly. But, you know, a few problems aside, it, it's a really solid, good, and I would say deservedly iconic and important, as as Steph mentioned at the very beginning, important movie in, uh, you know, filmmaking history. Well, Brad, we're we're doing our verdict for this movie now. Let's just go with you next. <laughs> we're doing our verdict, yeah, yeah. we're on it, apparently. I enjoy this movie still. <laughs> <laughs> This viewing has not changed that for you? No, no. You know, every, it is it is like unto an onion. Every time I watch it, I peel back a new layer, yeah. cry a little bit, and grow as a person. <laughs> yeah. I, 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 you lost me on that part. But yeah, having sure. only seen it's it twice. Good, no, it's a good metaphor. 
I agree with you. I, I'd say it's still it's still uh, bovinus sanctorum for sure. Uh, because, yeah, I, the second time, <laughs> having seen it once, watching it the second time, I'm like, yeah, I definitely noticed way more this time. And it makes so much sense, especially coming back after having watched part two in the past and then watching part one again. I'm just like, okay, okay. It's not Robert De Niro anymore, but <laughs> but here we go. <laughs> I, I remember I read an article once, like, ages and ages ago about how when The Godfather came out, it actually changed the way the actual mafia worked because they huh. they were just, like, a bunch of, like, greasy dudes in, like, tank tops before, like, kind of like your, your real, like, low-level thugs, and this movie was so iconic that it actually inspired a lot of the actual Italian mafia in New York to start behaving that way. Everyone went out and bought silk suits. Yeah, it, it literally taught it like it was a movie about a fancy mafia, and then it made the mafia become fancy. And that's that's worth something in its own respect. Yeah. All right, well, uh, I think uh, we all said this was sacred, so bovinus sanctorum. I guess yep. we liked it. Definitely. Yeah, and if you don't agree, you can sleep with the fishes. <laughs> bovinus sanctorum. Sacred Cows Tonight is a production of Sacred Cows Tonight. Executive producers Mike Urban and Pete B. The sketch Negotiations was written, edited, produced by, and featured M. Hiroshi Sutherland. It also featured Matthew Morris and Mika Howard. The disembodied voice guy sketch was written, edited, and produced by Pete B. Main portions are edited by Eli Ramsey. Want to contribute your sketch to Sacred Cows Tonight? Email us your script or proposal to sacredcows at heroeoftheweb.com. 